Hey, tell your neighbor, you are glad they're sitting next to you today. You might ask them what's for lunch there. I can, my stomach's growling a little bit. How about you? Hey, uh, we've been doing a series called Street Smarts. Uh, Street Smarts uh, from the book of James, a chapter-by-chapter chapter study. And the book of James is like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. It's a book of wisdom. It's a book of making right decisions and right choices that will help us have a, a better life. Uh, my contention is if wisdom is what James is about, if we follow God's wisdom, we'll have a better life. Now, this word street smarts, uh, de definition, it means someone who's got common sense. They know what's going on. They know how to make right decisions. Well, how many know there's worldly street smarts and there's godly street, street smarts? Worldly street smarts, I, I bought a watermelon this week from an old farmer from, he said, I'm from Bodcaw, Arkansas. And, uh, and I said, pick me a good watermelon. And he just went to thumping and he said, this is it. And when I took it home and I cut it and I thought, he was right. He had street smarts for the farm. I mean, there were people last night on the literal streets at 3 a.m. making money. Now, they got a different type of street smarts. It's not biblical street smarts. But if you and I will find wisdom from God's Word, I promise you a better life is coming. Well, this morning we're going to speed the series up a little bit. Uh, I've got three more messages in it, and then we're going to start our kickoff for the fall on a series on the Holy Spirit called Uncharted. So I'm excited getting ready for that. But this morning, let's look in uh, James chapter 2 and a little of chapter 3. We're going to talk about some cultural words this morning. In James, we'll talk about favoritism and prejudice. We'll also, in the context of God's view of the poor, uh, we'll talk about faith and good works. Now, this is pretty interesting because Martin Luther, if you've ever heard of him, he was the father of the Protestant Reformation where the Protestant movement broke off from Catholicism. He was one of the great founders, and he even questioned whether the book of James should be in the Scripture because of these few verses. Well, we're going to show how, how it really is Scripture. Uh, and the, second, or the third thing we're going to talk about is controlling our tongue, and uh, I think that will be a blessing to you. But I've got a little prop I'm going to use today. The ushers are going to hand you out a little device, and I want to encourage everybody to take one. To the, to the average eye, you might think this is a clothespin. It is not. It is what I'm going to call a TCD, and I will explain what that means later on. So just go ahead and take it and put it on your lapel there, and uh, I'll have you uh, use it a little later on in the message. Tell your neighbor I know where he's going. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Let's begin with chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll talk about favoritism and prejudice are not Christian attributes. Now, this is contextualized into how we treat the poor, but it's got a lot of applications to it. Now, let's look in James 2.1. My brothers, and this is not just two men, a generic term applying to all Christians. My brothers, show no partiality. Other translations say, don't think some people are more important. Don't show favoritism as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're a professing Christian, be careful about being partial to other people, about assigning who's better, uh, inferior, superior, based on some outward things. Don't show favoritism. And then he gives an example. He said, verse 2, uh, If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothes and said, You sit here in a good place, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Have not you made distinctions? Or the NIV says, have you not you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Now, I want us to think on these words because they're very current in our culture today. This idea of being partial, showing favoritism, uh, uh, making distinctions, or in particular, discriminated. But the key to understanding that is the phrase when he said, you become judges with evil thoughts. I mean, no, the Bible does not encourage us from judging. He just wants us to judge with right thoughts. To judge is to make proper decisions, proper evaluations. And uh, we'll explore that just a bit. But the simple message that we've read so far is simply this. We as Christians shouldn't treat people differently because of how much money they have. If somebody has more than I do, I shouldn't be jealous. I shouldn't be envious. I should be happy for them. I shouldn't expect them to give me something. But on the flip side, if I I have some of this world's gain and I'm around people who don't, I don't want to look down on them. I don't want to treat them uh, in in negative or adverse ways uh, simply because of what they have. And this is so strong uh, in the scripture in the book of Corinthians. They were having communion and they were doing this same kind of segregation based on wealth uh, in the church that Paul said many of you are weak, sick, and dying because you fail to discern the body of Christ. So it was big to the Lord. Um, whether we're rich or poor, black or white, whatever the case, how I many know we're all created in the image of God and need a Savior? Amen. You know, our common bond across this room today is that we are human beings created in the image of God. That doesn't mean that you look exactly like God, but we, we bear God's attributes. He is our Father. No matter how much we have, no matter how much schooling we have or don't have, what kind of car we drive, there is an equality in Christ that the world tries to mandate, but we willingly embrace because we have followed a common Savior. How many can say amen to that? Now, uh, I want to broaden this a little bit. Uh, because favoritism, being prejudiced, treating people differently, I mean, no, it's for a lot of reasons. It's not just financial. Uh, it could be racial. We see that across America today. It's almost like it's gotten worse in the last decade in America, the racial hostilities. Uh, we treat people differently because of social standing, uh, because of their role in the community, because of the neighborhood they live in, uh, because of their education or because of their status. Uh, this whole idea of, of, of treating people like they're less than you are. Uh, I mean, it happens on the golf course and the classroom. Uh, maybe you just took up golf and uh, you didn't know if you really liked it. You didn't want to spend a lot of money, so you bought a used set of clubs. And uh, you and your buddy are, are playing. It's a twosome, but the course is packed, so they're going to do a foursome. And they put you together with somebody. You shake hands, and when he looks at your clubs, and they look like, you know, hand-me-down clubs, and then he pulls out this bag of clubs, $2,500 with a four or 500 driver in it, and you, he just kind of looks down at you like, what are you doing on the same course with me? Now, doesn't it feel good, though, when you get up with your old three wood, and he hits it maybe 200 yards, and you whack it about 300, and it keeps on going. At the end of the day, he'll be asking you if you'd sell him that, that uh, special antique club that used to belong to Jack Nicholas. But you know the feeling. If you saw that old movie, uh, what was it? Uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Funny, funny, funny movie. I've watched it a dozen times. But it's this little Greek girl, and she doesn't fit in. She's got thick glasses. And in one part of the movie, she's about eight years old, and she's overweight, and, and she's not dressed in the cool clothes, and she's eating by herself, and all the little cool girls are over there with their designer lunch boxes, and they look over at her and say, What are you eating? And she gets a smile on her face. She's saying, Moussaka. She's Greek now. And then they said, moose caca. What? And they laugh at her in the pool thing. Well, how many know we've all felt that? 
Listen, you may be at a good place in life now, but all of us, I guarantee you, at one time or another in life, have been looked down on for some reason. You may be at the top of the world here in Texarkana, but you go to the East Coast in the Ivy League area, and uh, they laugh at you if you say you're from Arkansas. How many know we feel this in our culture, in our society? Um, I, I want to illustrate this to you visually with a little video. Uh, it was, uh, it was, it's a six-year-old girl, and it was a test to see how people would treat her if she was dressed real nice, and then when they changed and dressed her in, in homeless apparel. So take a little peek at this and as we think about this idea of being partial and, and discriminating in how we treat people. Kind of hit you where you lived, doesn't it? I can imagine some of those street kids there uh, would steal from people. You know, you saw the ladies guarding their purses. I mean, if that's a part of the world. This is a complicated subject. Uh, this is not a blanket indictment that, you know, you have to give everything you have to help every per poor person in the world. But I don't want to turn my back and close my heart to every poor person. Are you with me? And Linnell and I decided we're not going to help people as a rule that hold up a sign after church on Sunday, you know, coming around the loop there on state line because we, we followed, tracked down, talked to some people that know some of these folks, and they, that, that's their work all day. They make what they can, and then they go to Walmart after that's how they live their life. So we just decided we're not going to give money away that away. But one day, Linnell said she's driving down the road, and she felt like the Lord spoke to her. So we have to have filters to how we help people, but we can't just blanket say, I'm, I'm just going to shut the door of anyone that fits a certain mold. Now, here is Christians in particular. It, it gets complicated out in the world, but in the church, it's not that complicated. Uh, in Galatians 3.28, we're reminded that it's the cross of Christ. It does away with all social and class distinctions. The Bible says in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There, nor is there male or female, but say this with me. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Christ is the unifier. Uh, Jew or Gentile means race. Slave or free is social, it's economic. Male or female is gender. So the things that divide us in the world fall when we walk in the doors of this assembly. And how many know when I see you in the grocery store, you shouldn't treat me any different than you do in church. But we're different. And, I, and looking around this church, it makes me proud to be a pastor in this church to see diversity. To see people that God is blessed with wealth and to see people that are struggling. To see people that have a lot of education and people that haven't even graduated high school. 
That's a complicated thing, and particularly when we bring our children into the mix. But it's, uh, it's an example that the church can provide the world. The best thing the world can do is to force us to do things. I mean, no, you can force integration, but you can't force people to love each other. You can force uh, uh, programs on a populace, but you can't control the human heart. Well, how many know our hearts are controlled by Jesus? And as you look around the room today, everybody that names the name of Christ is our brother and sister in the Lord. Come on. Whether they're wearing motorcycle colors and, and you're scared to death of a biker. I mean, if we're a Christian, how many know we serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you give him a big hand today? That's James' first message. That whatever the things that divide us. Now, I want to try to make an application to a modern issue today. Uh, again, these words that were used uh, in the passage, uh, uh, the word uh, showing favoritism, partiality, but in particular the word discriminated, judges with evil faults. Uh, you saw a video earlier in the, uh, earlier in the, uh, the service today about uh, the Texas legislator com legislature coming back again to vote on what's called a privacy or a bathroom bill. In my wildest imaginations, I never imagined we'd have this conversation in America is if we're men or women, if we're boys or girls, if I could be, have, have male anatomy uh, but be a girl and then change my mind later and now I'm a boy again. I, I never thought we'd have that kind of conversation because my worldview is rooted in the Bible that says in the beginning God created them male and female. And there are certain givens in life. And I would suggest to you that when we accept our role in life, that we accept the, the, what defines us, the color of our skin, our gender, and these types of things. That's the starting place for happiness because God created us the way we are. And much of this is a, is a, is a search for happiness. But anyway, uh, we're voting on this. Actually, you got in your bulletin uh, an encouragement for you to call your representative in Texas, Mr. Van Dever. Uh, right now, uh, the, the Senate has passed a bill to protect the privacy of kids. And it's not just in a bathroom. If this becomes law, now you've already seen this year on a wrestling team, a, a boy, biological boy, that said he was a girl, wrestled in the girls' division and won the championship. It just didn't seem quite right because there are not only biological differences, but the sexes have different attributes you know, that, that cause them to excel in different ways. But um, if, if, if it's a locker room, and these law, if this law is not passed and the movement continues as it goes and there's no protection, one day your 11-year-old girl could come home from school and say, Daddy, there was a little boy in our changing room today. His name is Billy, but he wants us to call her Betty, and he was naked and taking a shower. That bothers me. Not just that it bothers me personally, but I think it violates a biblical principle of modesty for that little girl. You see, it's being called discrimination for me to say these words, but yet we don't consider the discrimination against the 99%, come on, that believe that we should honor and recognize the sexes. I want to go a little further in this about this idea. By the way, if you didn't get one of these, we've got a table in the lobby I'm going to be calling this week. But uh, let me give you a definition of this word discriminate because it's often misunderstood. Uh, I asked the gods of Google, and uh, the first definition they gave me was what's popular in culture. It says the unjust, which is a key word, the unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people, especially based on race, age, or sex. Synonyms being narrow-minded, bigoted, uh, intolerant, showing favoritism. Uh, nobody wants that. 
And if you want a trump card in America today, if you're a politician or a public speaker, if you're advocating an issue, and, and, and I can't win you over by my argument and the facts, all I have to do is say you're racist. All I have to do is say you're sexist. You're, you, you don't support me because I'm a woman and you're a man or whatever the case is, and, and it shuts, it shuts uh, conversation down. But it's this next definition that I'm glad they were honest enough to put in. They said discrimination means the simple recognition of the difference between one thing and another. And they use the idea you discriminate between right and wrong. So in essence, discrimination is simply making choices. Uh, you're going to discriminate today if you're going to go to a, a Mexican restaurant. And somebody's going to say, uh, I want to go this one because they have queso, white queso I like. And somebody else is going to say, no, but they have free ice cream over here. Well, this is discriminating in a sense, but how many know it's a free choice? There's no morality to it. It's on a very personal level. And how many know there's no biblical guidelines for, you know, where, which Mexican restaurants you should eat at? My suggestion is eat at all of them <laughs> as often as possible. But, but, but let me ask you this question. Is it discrimination to convict a thief who doesn't believe it's wrong to steal? Now, we're told that everybody has rights, and, and we get to figure out what's right. Well, how about if a thief just says, you know what, you've got more than I do. You have you, he's been taught uh, this, this concept of redistribution of wealth, and he's, he's going to do it for himself, and it doesn't bother him one lick. Is that discrimination for the judge? How about the policeman? If a policeman, is he discriminating when uh, he gives a ticket to a speeder? Because look, the speeder knows that you can go 80 miles an hour down that road because he does it every day, and there's no problem with it. He's a good driver, and he's very safe, and he doesn't feel it's anything wrong with it. So is the policeman discriminating against him, or is it discrimination, or is it, is it, is it to properly discriminate or to tell a lawbreaker they're wrong when their acts are unlawful? And this is what I suggest to you. It goes back for the basis of right and wrong, the basis of what's just or unjust. See, this whole idea about using locker rooms and all that, it's not just some uh, older white guy's feeling. Is there a biblical basis for this? I suggest there is when Genesis says, in the beginning God created them male and female. So our culture may want to tell us uh, that gender can be fluid. Uh, it used to be called gender confusion. They changed it to gender dysphoria because culture is changing. But guess what? If God created us that way, isn't that the source of what's right and wrong? And so when you stand for what's right and wrong, you are not wrongfully discriminating against someone. You are simply standing for what's proper. And I want to encourage you, whatever your feelings are, to make your call to your representative. But I want to remind you of this in John 7, 24. Uh, people will often say, they will say, you're judging me. You have no right to judge. Uh, Jesus said, judge not. But they don't talk about the context that talks about a log in your eye and a splinter. Uh, uh, you see a log in mine, a splinter in yours. But they forget that Jesus said this, judge with right judgment. John 7, 24. And that doesn't mean you're arrogant or bigoted looking down on someone, but it simply means that you're trying to do the right thing for the right reason. And uh, uh, it, it, the real heart of the issue is, is God's will revealed in the Bible or are people free to decide what's right and wrong? This was not questioned in America's history, but it's under question today because many of the forces in our society don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. Let me tell you where we, are, where, where we stand as a church. Our church welcomes diversity. 
Let me say it again. We welcome diversity in race, economic standing, and social standing. Uh, everyone is welcome at Church on the Rock, but the truth of the Bible is upheld as the standard of right and wrong. Let me say it again. Everybody is welcome, but the Bible is upheld as the standard of right and wrong. Everyone is worthy of dignity and love, but not approval of lifestyle choices that the Bible calls sinful. Right, and if you're mad at me, I'm just the spokesman. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. And this is where the problem comes in. We get so moved by our politics, moved by our culture, and the Bible is no longer the foundation of our society. Come on, praise the Lord, somebody. Let's keep moving. Verse 5. Again, he's talking about the poor. And listen to what he says. He said, has not God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Now, heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him. So now, there is, poverty is no guarantee of spirituality. How many have met poor people that are just as wild and wicked as they can be and mad as you know what? But having less or, having, or being poor or struggling can make you depend on God more. Come on. I guarantee it will make you pray more. I know that if I don't have the money for something and I need it and it's not an option but it's a necessity, how many know my prayer closet is going to get red hot because I'm going to seek after God? And that's what he's saying here. But, but there's a potential danger about being rich. James will touch on this several times because if we're not careful, riches can make us arrogant and act as if we don't need God. And if I could, before I leave this, remind you something that the Bible says about, because here it's specifically talking about our treatment of the poor. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke 14. Uh, Jesus said, when you give a banquet or a party, i got to confess to you, that's not something that I do. If I have a party, I'm inviting my duck hunting and turkey hunting buddies. Nothing wrong with duck hunting and turkey hunting buddies. Are you with me today? Listen, this is not this is not some Christian commune or version of communism where everybody's the same and everybody. No, you be yourself and have your own life. But with the body of Christ, there's a oneness. But Jesus said, "You remember those that have less than you, and I'll repay you at the resurrection of the righteous." And then he gives us a picture, Matthew 25, at this judgment day. When Jesus has separated all of humanity, those for hell on the one side, uh, the sheep for heaven on the other, and Jesus will say to the ones going to heaven, take your inheritance, say this with me, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I needed clothes and you clothed me. What is this? Uh, people that are poor. And Jesus said this amazing statement, whatever you did for one of the least of these... I may be troubled by what I see. I may be appalled at the smell and the look and question, but all that. But if I can see Jesus behind that person and I can do my love, come on, in the name of the Lord, whether I'm helping a kid go to school or helping somebody with a medical bill or just giving to the benevolence department, I want to tell you, friends, Jesus sees it. And what it is, it fulfills verse 8 of this chapter. Caring for the poor instead of acting with prejudice and favoritism completes the verse that says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Jesus said was the second great commandment. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand there. I'm feeling your heat vibes coming at me. <laughs> Verse 14. Uh, a lifestyle of good works is the evidence of true faith for salvation. So if you turn me off, turn me back on. Brand new subject here. You didn't turn me off, did you? <laughs> 
what good is it, my brothers? You know, I don't ever want to offend anybody. But I am told I offend anybody by all the time. Because the Bible is an offensive book. It's a separator. And I pray to God I don't have a bigoted, self-righteous bone in me. And I pray I always, as your pastor, have the courage to, to the best of my ability, tell you right from wrong. Not just a biblical history book, but a book that's living that speaks to us today. That's my aspiration. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, this is faith for salvation, faith to go to heaven. He says he has faith, but he doesn't have works or good works. Good works are things like Linnell showed, the people that, that took, gave their Saturday and they went to Rahab's retreat and they built a wall. The girls that give a Thursday and give up $300 or whatever they'd make a, a, with their hair products that day, they give up that money and they went down there and gave a day. Or people that give money or your tithe turns into that. These are good works. He asked the question, can that kind of faith save him? And then he gives us this example and he picks up the previous uh, thread. If our brother or sister is poorly clothed and they lack food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what real good is that? So faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Now this is where Martin Luther was troubled. Martin Luther, uh, again, he was the Catholic priest that they broke away from the Catholic church because what he saw, what he believed in their age of indulgences where you could buy your way into heaven, buy into heaven or buy God's favor with money or material things. And he said, hey, there's something different here. And he quoted Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, sola scriptura. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the scripture of the Reformation, you're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so obviously Martin Luther saw this and said, what is James saying? Should this even be in the Bible? But James is not trying to say faith plus works equal heaven. James is saying faith, true faith equals heaven, but true faith is revealed by good works. And in the absence of good works, James would say there is no real faith. He calls it dead. Verse 18, he says, I'll show you my faith by my good works. And faith apart from these works is useless, dead, it's meaningless. So James would say, merely claiming to have faith or saying I believe in Jesus is not enough to go to heaven. Genuine faith is evidenced by good works. Now the last thing I want to do this morning is make you question your salvation. Particularly if you're a young Christian. Because listen, when I got saved, I was wild and woolly. And anybody else out there? And the day after I was saved, I was still pretty wild and woolly. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, now I was in a Navy boot camp, so there was a limitation on what you could have gotten away with. But it's not like a, 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 a fairy touches you and all of a sudden all the bad things are gone and you're this holy saint now. It took me a while. Some things, literally, I just quit doing after I came to Christ. Some things took me a pretty good while to clean up. And some things I'm still working on today. Come on, you're looking too sanctimonious out there on me. You see, we're, salvation is a starting place, and then we're involved in something that's called sanctification where God cleans us up. 
See, if you sin, as we all sin, that doesn't mean now you're going to hell because you just committed a sin. You know, I'm good, I'm heaven, I'm bad, I'm hell. I'm good, I'm heaven, I'm bad, I'm hell. I'm good, I'm heaven, I'm bad, I'm hell. That is, that is not what we're talking about. How many know Jesus said, no man can pluck you out of my hand? But the question is, did I have true Bible faith when I came to the altar and shook the preacher's hand, came to the cross, raised my hand or whatever? Was that real biblical faith or was it a vaccination of religion? You get a flu shot this winter, guess what they're going to put in your arm? They're not going to put antibodies or they're not going to put, you know, they're not going to put vitamins in your arm. They're going to put a flu virus. Uh, uh, in your arm, but it's supposed to produce antibodies in your body to help you be strong and fight it. Well, listen, if you're told as a kid, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven uh, and you don't have to make any changes and, and, and you shake the preacher's hand and that's it. And not a day, you went to church because mom told you to. You, 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 you've never really given any of your money away. Uh, you've never gone on any missions trips. You're not really serving the Lord. You still cuss like a sailor. You go to whatever movie you want to. Your music is wild and woolly. Come on now. You got, you got porno on your computer. It's sitting on your nightstand. You're on the hunt when you're out on a date. I saw this movie one time. It was a gangster, supposedly a true story. And this guy was, he was bad. He was a drug dealer. I mean, he had neighborhoods under his thumb. Uh, he was a murderer. He'd brag about it. But guess where he was on Sunday? He was in church. And guess what? He, on Thanksgiving time, they're around the table holding hands, thanking God for their food. Can I tell you? Something is wrong if our behavior doesn't line up with our belief. Again, I'm not trying to make you question your salvation to undermine it. But I am trying to say, is it real? And you'll rarely hear me talk about this, but I do it because it's in the scripture today. James made a point of this. I base my salvation on what I learned in the Methodist church, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's this word believe that I think is misunderstood in evangelical Christianity. Believe is, uh, is more than embracing facts about God. Belief is life-changing. Believe means to turn and follow. Uh, my wife, I, I think the worst thing she ever did as a teenager, she went with her sister to a club and she smelled cigarette smoke. She didn't smoke or drink. I mean, I mean, she didn't have much to repent from. Me, on the other hand, it was a clear turn. But guess what? Both of our lives today, if you look at our lives and you go to get a lawyer and a judge, there's enough evidence to convict us of being a Christian. Are you with me today? And that's the question I want to ask today from the book of James. And if there's any thought, I would give it some real serious thought. And we would be honored to talk with you, to pray with you, it, it, to make a real commitment to really go after God. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Let me wrap this up here. Our, our, the words we say are a measure of our spiritual maturity. What comes out of my mouth. Uh, last week, James 1.26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he's deceiving his heart and his religion is... Huh. Now he picks the same thought up, James 3, 2. We all make many mistakes. If we could control our tongue. Now this is the personal discipline. This is the choice, the deliberateness about what we say. 
If we could control our tongue, we'd be perfect and can control ourselves in every other way. He goes on to say, if we put a bit in the mouth of a horse so they obeyed us, we'd guide their whole bodies as well. How many people like to ride horses? Let me see your hand here. Oh, God bless you. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not much of a, of a horse guy. Now, I was raised in the country on a farm. We had a, little, we had a little Shetland pony called Daisy. And I'd ride Daisy around the house, and she was as mean as a snake. And Daisy, one day, I was about probably 10, Daisy threw me off, stepped on me, and bit me all at one time. <laughs> da- don't be taking my picture looking like this. <laughs> Daisy needed a bit in her mouth, not just that it was a smooth piece of, of iron, when I, when I finally became a man at 16 or 17, and we had cows, and they would run in the woods, and we had to get them up periodically. So we borrowed a horse, and I put a bit in that horse's mouth, and that bit didn't do a bit of good to control that horse. We were chasing cows through the woods, and, br- and branches started hitting me, and I was going, whoa, stop, and that horse wasn't doing anything because it's almost like it didn't even have a bit in its mouth. What it needed was one of those bits. Have you ever seen them for really tough horses that are tough? They're either crooked or they got some little sharp things on them. So Now, we're talking about controlling our tongue. But, but if you get that, that, that bit in a horse's mouth, you don't have to do much and that horse is going to stop. And that's exactly what the scripture is saying that you and I need. Because our tongue, listen to what he says. This tongue is a small part of the body, verse 5, but it brags about great things. A big forest fire can be started with a little flame. Your tongue is a flame of fire and can set your whole life on fire. I can light my barbecue, I can light a candle, or I can go to your house. Say your house is 2,500 square feet. I can, I can take a flame that could probably fit in a quarter-inch box, and I can burn your house to the ground. And that's the same power this tongue had. The Bible connects the devil to it. It's set on fire by hell itself. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, how could it be full of deadly poison in a six-year-old? I hate you. I wish you weren't my mommy. You're not my real mommy. You tell a child, they bring their report card home, and you see that there's a C. Are you just stupid in math? Where did you learn your math from, your mother? You just, pew, two people. And here's the problem. You can't take it back. I, I was real sensitive as a kid and, and now, but I remember I was probably 19, and, and I won't go into the detail, and my dad did not mean to do this, but I was taking some plants that my grandmother gave for my mother, and I left them in the truck, and my dad was in this huge super hurry, and I said, wait, i got to get something. He saw me walk back in that truck with that plant, and I don't remember what he said, but I know it made me shrink over in the corner and tear come down my eye at 19. Now, my dad didn't mean to hurt me, but the tongue has power. I've been your pastor here 26 years. In two minutes of time, I could empty this church, and you'd never come back. Rather than telling jokes about horse bridles, if I started started saying sexually explicit jokes and started dropping the F-bomb, your tongue, that's exactly right. 
You go home and you say, I wish I'd have never married you. Why did I? Is it too late to get an annulment? I'm going to illustrate this. Come help me here. Sean. Uh, Sean uh, takes care of our buildings here. Give him a big hand. He does a good job there. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Now, I want you to pull out your TCD, your tongue control device. I, I, if you have a marketing degree, I need your help. We're going to rebrand this thing and off the, off the housewares, and we're going to put it in the, uh, uh, let's call it organic, organic wood. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's a device for, for saving marriages and raising better kids. Uh, we can make a bundle off this thing. But, but I only have one size. Uh, we hadn't perfected it yet. Uh, but, but Sean has been known to uh, uh, let his tongue get away from him. And uh, uh, I've heard him. I heard him making fun of my bald spot. He, when they show me on the front row during worship, and I'm the one with the little ball thing there, and he was in the sound booth, and, and, and he, what did you say? Go ahead, say it out loud. You're a little shiny. I'm a little shiny. Here's how this device works. Now, would you say that again? Would you repeat that? I'm a little shiny. You're a little shiny. Uh-huh. It works pretty good. But now our next model we're going to come out with, it'll be one that has a, has a low, medium, and high range to it. But right now you're just going to have to like dosage like you do aspirins and Tylenol. Uh, he, he also made a comment about my, my sermon, the last sermon I preached, and, and, and kind of that he wished that I would, uh, would preach a little bit better and study a little harder. Would you help me out here? And I heard this at staff meeting. And uh, would you say that again here about the way I preach? And uh, Sean has also been known to, uh, to cuss on it. I need one more. Sean has also been known to cuss on occasion, uh, you know, when, when, uh -uh. when something doesn't work out right. And, and uh, uh, we're not going to let him go into any of the major words, but let's just, let's just try uh, darn, okay? Wait a minute. Put the device on. Uh, let, uh, uh. Try darn. Yarn. Uh-huh. I like yarn. This works. You want to say something about my mother now? Uh, See? See? It works. This, uh, now, uh, we're laughing about this, and obviously this is funny, but this might get you some mileage at home, and I'm being serious for just a second here. You get your kids laughing about this. How many have kids that go, no, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. What if you just had a little family get together, and you said, okay, you put this on the table next time you have dinner. Every time somebody whines, or if daddy says something mean to mommy, or if mommy says something mean to daddy, come on now, I see you looking around here, uh, but let me offer a disclaimer, but th th there's no directions with this, and if you happen to cause the tongue to turn purple, th this is my disclaimer that you used it the wrong way. Um, now, we're laughing, but have you ever said anything you wish you could take back? Now, I sure hope my dad didn't hear through somebody that I said something that happened when I was 19 because he tells me every time he talks to me now, dad's almost 80, that he loves me, and I know he loves me. I knew he loved me then, but you can't take words back. When you call, this is why you, tell, you need to tell your little girls how beautiful they are because the world is telling them constantly, constantly their nose is too big it's too little they're too short they're too fat their feet are too uh, it's just everything she needs to hear from somebody that she's beautiful come on created by God in the image of God no matter what imperfection she has and that's a dad's role because if the dad doesn't do it some little crazy kid will do it 
preacher better than your amening there. I'm going to wrap this up here. There is a personal responsibility to control our tongue, and I'm going to close with this. But there's something that's bigger than this. You tell an angry person not to get angry, they answer the altar call on Sunday, and they're angry on Monday. There's some things that we can control, but sometimes it's almost like something inside makes us, it takes over. I want to say something very simple and plain. Allow God to change your heart. Because a problem with the tongue is really a problem with the heart. Jesus said this in Luke 6.45. Good people bring good things out of the good stored in their hearts. Honey, you're sure beautiful. Has Daddy told you he loves you today? Yes, four times already. But evil people bring out evil things out of the evil they stored in their hearts. You're stupid. You're ugly. It's the heart. Jesus said this, people speak the things that are in their hearts. Now, I've got some great news as we close today. Jesus is in the business of changing hearts. Jesus is in the transformation business. When you truly get saved, you, you become a different person. How many of you have been a Christian any length of time and can say, I'm not the same person I was? And it's not because a government regulation forced me to treat somebody one way. It's because the love of God came up in my heart. Come on now. And I began to love people the way they should be loved. My language changed. Listen, every, I, was, I was raised to cuss. Anybody? Now, my mama didn't teach me to cuss. First time I cussed around my mama, I didn't do it for a while. But I was raised on a farm and... and, and and, and all the compadres there, they, they, they were good at cussing, and they knew when to say it. And how many know if you're just around somebody cusses, you know when to let it go. You know when to let it fly. I just was right in there with them. And it's interesting, they would tell me, no, don't say that while they're saying that. Monkey see, monkey do. But I don't talk like that anymore. And if something slips every once in a while, I say, Lord, would you forgive me? Because Jesus has changed my heart. And how many know if he can change mine? He can change yours too. Give him a big hand today. Why do you stand to your feet and let's, uh, let's close. If you'll just allow me three or four minutes here as we close with prayer. I want you to bow your heads a moment. and I Don't get off to the restaurant yet. I, I want you to ask this question. You've, you've given us... Gave me 40 minutes to open the Bible and talk to you. Now I want to ask you this question. What, what does it mean? And, and what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Was it something about the favoritism, the prejudice? Is it hard to love and even be around people that are different? Maybe there's jokes you make, racial jokes. Prejudice was a part of my life growing up. Maybe you're here today and you don't really have a place for poor people in your life. You barely have enough for yourself, and I understand that. But maybe you've closed your heart. Maybe the Lord wants you to open it. Maybe when we were talking about a lifestyle of good works being evidence of your faith, maybe you really took an honest moment and... and and ask yourself, is there enough evidence to convict me of being a Christian? 
you may want to make a step to Christ to care for that. I know this part of our words speaks to all of us. I'm a teaser. I like to joke, and sometimes I tease people about things that hurt their feelings, and that's wrong. I want my tongue to be something that blesses, not curses. And Lord, I feel like that's probably the desire of every person in this room today. And we just want to just simply reach out to heaven and say, Lord, would you change our hearts? Come on, just slip your, your hands to heaven just as a way of saying, help me, Lord. I, I'm doing pretty good and usually the best I can, but I want to invite you to change me on the inside. To take me like a piece of clay, and you're the potter, and turn me into something beautiful. You're the potter and I'm the clay. And I give you the right to shape my life into what you want it to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was Street Smarts today. We'll pick it up next week. Let's close with a personal prayer. We'll be quick about it today for time's sake. But if you're here today and there's something in this message that you really want to touch someone and talk to someone and say, pray for me because... Oftentimes, as we, as we read the Bible, it unearths some things that God really wants to be involved in. And if you want a personal prayer about anything today, we'd be honored to pray with this altar in a very confidential way. Most important prayer we'd like to pray today is when we were talking about going to heaven, having faith in Christ, when I said that part about being vaccinated with religion, maybe that's you. You're not a bad person, but how many know not only can you not be good enough to get to heaven, the starting place is beginning to follow Jesus. The starting place is asking for His forgiveness. Listen now, and turning around to follow Christ. Maybe that's what you need to do today, to let Jesus be the Lord and Savior of your life. And if you, if you, and if you right now feel this tug and this pull like He's talking to me, friend, I believe the Holy Spirit is talking to you. Because I'm not inviting you to join this church. You can if you want to later. But I'm talking about you, about your personal relationship with God. If it's not where it wants to be and you want to get your life right with God, when we begin to sing, I'm going to encourage you to come and join us at the foot of this cross. Someone will be there to pray for you as you make the biggest step of your life. Prayer team, come on up to the front. We're going to sing this one song and then close. Let me invite you to come if you want prayer. Most importantly, you need to make a step to Christ. Don't let it. Thanks, stop. I love you. Thank you for being here.